Welcome back to the big broadcast. Here's your hosts, Mike Martini and Mark Magistrelli. It's hour three of tonight's big broadcast, and Orson Welles returns to the microphone, this time as Harry Lime in The Lives of Harry Lime. Here's an episode from 1952, part of that short-lived but memorable series on the big broadcast. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the story The Third Man, with zither music by Anton Karras. Her name was Susie. But she was very, very far from being a floozy. She was lovely, and she was a countess. And I mean a genuine countess, too. I can vouch for that. I checked on her ancestry. It pays to be sure about these things. When I first met up with her, she was suffering from a complaint not uncommon among the post-war aristocracy of Western Europe, the main symptoms of which are expensive tastes and a certain emptiness of the purse, if you get what I mean. And that's how we came to team up, in fact. And since Carl and I turned out to be just the supers and Susie was the star... I'll call this little adventure Susie's Q. What brought me to Vienna was a hint that for an astute financier like myself, there was an honest buck or two to be made on the international currency market. Not black, you understand, just a pale shade of gray. My informant had neglected to mention, however, that the regulations were being policed with ghoulish enthusiasm by the authorities of the four occupying powers. And as four against one is tough odds in any language, be it French, Russian, American, or British, I decided that the lime neck was too valuable a thing to risk being stuck out. There were three hours to go before the next plane back to Paris, so I was filling in time in the American bar in the Hotel Continental, reading an afternoon newspaper. At the next table, there was a man and a woman. He was the German officer type, you know, tall and straight back with that scar down one cheek. And she was, well, let's just say she had everything, all in the right proportions and all in the right places. As I read on, I was vaguely conscious of the man rising. He left the bar, and then after a while he came back, and the next second he was beside me. With a click of the heels and a stiff military bow, Please forgive this interruption. Oh, certainly. See, the bookstall has no newspapers. We are uh-huh. waiting most anxiously to know the result of a case in the court today, which is bound to be reported. Uh, could I possibly be troubling you uh, for a moment? For my newspaper? Not at all. Here, here you are, man. Ah, Go ahead. You are being most kind. So, uh, ah, here we are. On the front page, as I thought. Baron wins claim court order against divorced wife. He has won. Splendid. You hear that, Susie? He has won. I am so glad. Your paper. A thousand thanks. Oh, well, why not take it over to your friend over there and read the report in detail? No, no, no. It is only the verdict we are wanting. The Baron is being a friend of ours, you see. Again, our grateful thanks. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen, old man. Auf Wiedersehen. (laughs) 
curiosity being one of the lime failings, as soon as my heel-pricking friend had returned to his own table, I read the story through. And it seemed a certain Baron Dortmunder had been suing his divorced wife for the return of a family heirloom, a diamond necklace, which was reputed to have been owned by Marie Antoinette. And the wife's defense was that it had been a present to her, but the court had ruled this out in order to return a necklace forthwith. Oh, I was speculating idly on what chance the fellow would have of disposing of a little thing like this necklace that happened to come into his possession when suddenly there was another click of heels. Your pardon, please. Oh, it's you again. Hmm? You will forgive this insistence, but uh, am I friend and I correct in believing you to be Herr Lime? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Lime's my name. The Herr Lime. Uh, what can I do for you, Herr, uh... Herr Clausen. Carl Clausen. I'm glad to know you, Herr Clausen. Uh, the pleasure is, I'm sure, in you, mutual. Mm, yes, I'm sure. Do. You have been reading the story of the Baron's necklace. Yes, as a matter of fact, I have. Just you are finding it of interest? Oh, yes, in a small way. I'm quite a collector of uh, objects uh, myself, you oh, know, right. so it is said. Yes, well, I had uh, no idea I was so well known as Baron. In our business, it is desirable to be well informed. May I ask what is your business, Herr Clauser? Uh, perhaps the same as yours. It is possible you have been wondering how, if one is chancing to possess such a necklace, one would find for it the right buyer. Huh? Are you a mind-reading act or something? Go sure. right on, please. And it is occurring to the Countess and myself that you may be interested in uh, a proposition of business. That's yeah? quite possible. You are following what I mean? I have already a buyer for the necklace at a hundred thousand dollars. American dollars, old man? Yeah. Well, if I fall, no one can say I wasn't tempted. Lead on, Herr Clauser. And that's how I came to meet Susie. Their plan was simple enough. The Baron Dortmunder lived alone except for a housekeeper and a manservant in a small villa in one of the suburbs. Every Thursday night, the housekeeper went off duty. Next Thursday, Susie planned to get the Baron out of the house by entertaining him at dinner. That left only the manservant. Clauser was to cope with him by calling on the pretense of wanting to see the Baron and then keeping the fellow standing by while he wrote a long note. Meanwhile, with the coast clear upstairs, I was to purloin the necklace. It is no difficulty, Harry Lyle. The Baron's bedroom is on the first floor, and from it opens a balcony. Mm. From the garden, there is a lattice screen that leads to the balcony. Yes, a yes. child could climb. Well, that may be, honey. What I'm trying to tell you is that I'm not a professional thief. Even if I get into the room, what do I do then? I imagine the necklace will be under lock and key, won't it? You, of course, use this key. Oh, how did you get hold of that? Well, I thought perhaps it may be of service someday. So, one evening when I was dining with the Baron, he drank a little too much champagne, and when he was not looking, I took an impression of the key and left. Susie is what you call a maker of opportunity. <laughs> Obviously. Well, I'd certainly like to oblige, but... Uh, but what, my friend? Forgive such a sordid detail, but... What's in it for Harry Lyme? Oh, of course, we have not yet turned this card. No, we have not yet turned this card. <laughs> How no. stupid of it. When the necklace is being sold, uh, what say you to one-fifth of the proceeds? Yeah? Well, I can answer that in one word, Herr Clauser. No. Mm-hmm. What would Herr Lyme suggest? A three-way split, one-third each. Hmm? You want to say For me, it is agreed. But Susie... Well, what point is there to quibble, Herr Lyme is right. He is the one who takes the risk. Thank you, Countess. Is that okay with you, Herr Clauser? If Susie is saying it, I am in accord. Then it is how you say a deal? Yes, it's how I say a deal. Good. Champagne, Carl. Champagne. Let us join to our new partnership. And it's success. 
As we were all living in the one hotel, I saw quite a lot of Susie and Carl in the next couple of days. We were already around a Christian name terms with Carl in tow. That was about as much solid progress as I could make. And it wasn't until Wednesday evening, the night before we planned to relieve the Baron of the necklace, that we managed to grab ourselves a few minutes alone. There was a beer garden next to the hotel with an orchestra that played nothing but waltzes. Harry, I wish for a while to talk with you. Well, here I am. No, no, it is too crowded here, too much noise. Where can we go? What's beyond that gate over there? Some trees and alone. No people? No people. I think we've been wasting our time here. Let's go home. As we went through the gate and left the dancers and the music behind, my heart skipped a jump or two, and I had a sort of crazy, excited feeling like a high school boy about to embark on his first love affair. Half of me was saying, Go easy, Harry. Don't start something you can't finish. And the other half was longing to take Susie in my arms. You are seeming a little nervous, Harry. You are not worried about tomorrow night. Oh, no, 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 of course not. I can't be worried. You are not forgetting you have joined with Carol and me? Oh, no, no, I'm glad. Ah, so am I. It is bringing to me much happiness to have met you. You are so different from every other man I have known. Harry, when this is over, when the necklace is sold and we have divided the money, what will you do? Well, it mightn't be very healthy to stick around here. I guess I'll go back to Paris, hmm? I shall miss you very much. Why not come to? If only I could. What's to stop you? Oh, Carl. You mean you and he? You have not guessed. Well, I have wondered a few times. Once for a little while, we were being lovers. It is all over now since a long time, and we are just uh, what you call associates of business. Mm. It is agreed what I do is my own affair, but he is by disposition very jealous. And I am always afraid. Listen, leave Carl to me. I've handled tougher guys than him. Susie, with the moonlight on your face and in your hair, lovelier than ever. Emma. Loveliest thing I've ever seen. Please, Harry, you mustn't. I'm crazy about you. Harry. You will come with me to Paris, won't you? Oh, I... Well, I'll try. Good. Oh, oh, please let me go. Someone is coming. Okay, we'll get back to the subject later. I don't know just how much Carl was responsible, but I didn't get a chance to see Susie alone all next day, so the question of the future stayed up in the air. Now, of course, there was something even more important to think about, Operation Necklace. Around about nine o'clock, Susie went off to keep her dinner date with the Baron. An hour after that, Carl and I left the hotel separately and met again later, according to plan, in a dark laneway that ran beside the Baron's villa. I let myself quietly into the Baron's garden and hid behind a big shrub. Then Carl went openly to the front door and pulled the bell. The short pause. And then... Uh, good evening, Joachim. Oh, it's you, Herr Klauser. I crossed the lawn, and in another second I was climbing up the lattice. 
It was even easier than I'd thought. The latch on the bedroom door was old and loose, and in half a minute was open, and I was inside. I switched on a small flashlight, located the safe, turned the key that Susie had given me, and it opened as sweetly as a dream. There was a lot of other stuff in the safe, but it was the necklace I was after. I found it at last, in a plush-lined case. I took one quick glance. Looked all right to me. $100,000 was a bargain basement price for a set of rocks like that. I closed the safe, and then, as I was moving toward the balcony door, it happened. A small chair I failed to see and stumbled into. I paused for a moment, holding my breath. And I heard feet pounding up the stairway and voices. Where do you think it came from? Out the master's bedroom. Quickly, Klaus. This way. There wasn't any time to escape. I slipped behind a set of heavy curtains by the window, and as I did so, I wondered, was this just an accident? Or had Carl found out about Susie and me? Was this a double cross? second, Carl and the Baron servant were in the room. My hand was on my gun, ready. If it was a double cross, Carl was going to be very sorry indeed. The light clicked on. No one here, Joachim. He may be hiding. Nonsense. You must have imagined it. Look here closer. That chair has fallen over. That is no imagination. And the balcony door is unlatched. But you're sure you locked it? Quite sure. In that case, he's probably escaped into the garden. No one. That she's got here by now. Herr Klauser, will you stay here, please? While I'm going down and telephoning the police. But uh, is that necessary? It's what the Herr Baron would do. All right. Off with you. Thank you, sir. You can come out now. Thanks. You fool. I'm nearly bungling the whole thing. Well, I warned you this was out of my line. It's done now. You have the necklace. Yes, I got Good. the necklace. You'd better go by this time. Wait for me in your room. Okay. See you later, sweetheart. Twenty minutes later, I was back at the hotel. I waited in my room till after midnight, when I was just beginning to wonder whether something had gone wrong. There was a cautious knock on the door, repeated three times. It was Carl's signal. Is everything all right? Sure, come in. You have caused me much trouble, Harry. Much embarrassment. Well, so what? No one can possibly suspect you. You're getting all steamed up about nothing, old man. This is maybe. But it makes for all of us much difficulty. With Lux the Baron, his loss might not have discovered for many days, by which time we should all be out of Vienna and in the clear. Now the police are active and anything may happen. You have the necklace, Harry? Yes, of course I do, old Let man. me see. There. Feast your eyes on that, hmm? Ah, it is beautiful. <laughs> you said it. I am seeing at midday tomorrow this man who wishes to buy. He will have the money in cash. Well, before I hand over the necklace, don't you think we should let Susie have a look at it, too? Why? Huh? Well, after all, she's in this as much as you and I. Isn't she entitled to some visual proof that I'm handing it over to you? Suppose tomorrow morning you deny that I have. Who's she to believe? You or me? 
You are doubting my integrity? Oh, no, 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 not at all, man. No, not at all. I, I just like to be sure. Herr Lein, I remind you I'm a Klauser. That means I'm a gentleman. A gentleman's word, this is bond. So that is something perhaps you would not understand. Now, take it easy, Carl. Elsewhere and in other circumstances, you would be obliging me to seek satisfaction. I bet you swung a nifty saber in the good old days at Heidelberg. No need to blow your top now. The necklace, uh, please. Times have changed. The necklace? I'm sure. Here you are. Take it. And, Carl. Yes? Maybe I did speak a little out of turn. If so, I'm sorry, old man. That is all right. We are perhaps both being a little... On edge this evening. No hard feelings? Of course not, Harry. That's fine. Uh, by the way, where is Susie now? Uh, have, you, have you seen her? Only for a minute. She was already here at the hotel when I returned. I managed to speak a few words with her. Well, how did she get along with the Baron? Oh, it seems that dinner was disturbed abruptly when word came to the Baron of the robbery. So he went off with the police and she came back here. By now I'm imagining she's asleep. Well, that mightn't be a bad idea for all of us, one way or another. It's been quite an evening. Good night, Carl. I was disappointed. I sort of hoped Susie would drop in before she called it a night. I waited up another hour on the off chance that she would, but there's no sign of her. So I turned in. Next morning, she wasn't down for breakfast. At 11 o'clock, she still hadn't appeared. I went into the bar and bought myself a drink. Just I was beginning to get really worried... There she was, looking fresher and lovelier than ever. Good morning, Harry. Hello there. Now, where have you been? Why haven't I seen you? I've had to, as you call it, lie low. Lie low? Why? The police. You mean to say you're being tailed? Yes. But how come? Must they possibly suspect you? I do not think they are suspecting me exactly. Well? But they are interested in me because I was last night with the bell. And so, for the time being, I have to be careful. Harry, I have news for you. Important news. What is it? I am afraid that Carl, he is how you say, double-crossing us. You must be wrong, Susie. I, I grant you he's a bit of a pain in the neck, but after all, he's an aristocrat and a gentleman. Would you be interested to know that Carl's mother was a waitress in a beer garden? What? And that his father died in prison, where he was spending 20 years for robbery with violence. You're kidding. And that Carl was brought up in the slums and gutters of Vienna, and that before he was of age, he was three times in jail for picking oh, pockets. Oh, it can't be true, all that smooth politeness that... It is true. I am knowing his background, you see. You have given him the necklace. Sure, last night. Then perhaps you will explain to me why he has booked a seat, a single seat, on the one o'clock plane for Zurich. Is that a fact, Susie? Yes, I objected for myself. So that's his little game. Well, he needn't think he can get away with it, Susie. No. What are you going to do? I'm going to get that necklace, of course. <laughs> In a long and disillusioned career, I've had to deal with many double-crossers, and experience has taught me there's only one way to do it. That's to get in first and never give the other guy a chance. So when I burst in on Carl in his room, my gun was already in my hand. Harry, what is the meaning of this? I do not understand. You can say that no compre stuff, old but man. I assure you... Don't reach for your pocket either. This happens to be loaded. It might just go off. The necklace, where is it? Please... If you would only explain. You heard me, the necklace. I'll give you three seconds. Eins, zwei. In my hip pocket. All right, turn around. But I. Do as you're told. No tricks. 
Very well. That's more like it. Right. From now on, I'll take charge of this, old man. Oh, if you will please to tell me what this is all about. Can't you guess, Carl? I can only assume it is what you call the double cross. Well, that comes very well from you, you two-timing crook. Hey, hey, and... Toilet. Now listen to me, Herr Clauser. This is Harry Lyme talking, so get it straight. But what I was going to say to Carl remained unsaid. For at that moment, the door was flung open. And in burst an inspector and the biggest, toughest cop I'd ever seen. There is the man, Clauser. Arrest him. Yes, Herr Inspector. What is the meaning of this? Hey, what goes on? Come along, you. This is an outrage. I protest. If Carl had had any sense, he'd have gone quietly, but he started to struggle. So the cop hung a smart one on his jaw, and the subsequent proceedings, as they say in all the best novels, interested Carl no more. Permit me to offer my congratulations, Herr Lyme. Oh, sure. Quite all right. You can put that gun away now. You Hmm. have recovered... The necklace? The necklace? Uh, oh, yes. It's right here in my pocket. Uh, may I have it, please? What? Uh, certainly. The Herr Baron will be most grateful, I am sure. You uh, must have been thinking we would never arrive, but we came as soon as we were receiving the telephone call. Telephone call? call? What telephone call? From the Countess, the lady oh. to whom you gave the message. Oh. Oh, yes, of course. May I ask Herr Lyme how it was you first came to suspect Colonel Clauser? Oh, just a hunch, I guess. Uh, did you say Colonel Clauser? Why, yes. Were you not knowing he was in the war a famous military officer? Clauser? In Bavaria, the Clausers for many generations are being much respected. The Colonel is, how do you call it, the dark sheep of the family. Yes, uh, yes I see. You've had dealings with him before, hmm? Yes, Unfortunately. Well, tell me just one thing, Inspector. From your knowledge of him, would you say he's the sort of man who'll double-cross an associate? No, no. Impossible. He has many faults, it is true. But always his integrity is impeccable. He is, if I may put it so, the soul of honor. Oh. Oh, well, well, well. Duplicity, thy name is woman. I knew most of the answers now, but there were still a few I had to learn. After the inspector had gone, I went looking for Susie. I didn't have to search for long. She was still in the bar, and her greeting to me was as casual as if nothing had happened at all. She seemed more than willing to talk. Certainly, she admitted she'd lied to me about Carl planning a double cross and about his background. Certainly, she'd phoned the police and given them a message purporting to come from me. The further we went, the more baffled I must have looked. For finally, she put her cool hand on mine and smiled at me and said, Poor Harry. You find it all a little confusing, eh? Maybe I'm not the subtle type, but wouldn't it have been a lot simpler just to denounce both Carl and myself and made a thorough job of it? (laughs) But I would never have dreamed to do that. But why? I had to get Carl out of the way, it's true. For a long time now, he has been difficult, but with you, it was different. How? I've no cause to wish you ill, Harry. Besides, I like you. I like you very much. Is anything worth to happen to you? I still don't get it. You know, if Carl didn't plan to double-cross us, he'd have sold the necklace, and then your share would have been $30,000. Isn't that right? Right. But as it is, you get nothing. Ah, but that is where you are wrong. I get the necklace. I give it to myself. How come? It is very simple. You see, when I dined last night with the Baron... He did me the honor to ask me to be his wife. 
Appearances, like women, are notoriously deceitful. Now take Susie. That's right, you take her. I've got enough trouble of my own. And then there's Carl. Just because Carl said he was an officer and a gentleman, and just because Carl looked like an officer and a gentleman and even acted like one, I was sure he had to be a fake. <laughs> Just goes to show you, nowadays you can't trust anybody. So long, now. Orson Welles and Harry Lime on tonight's big broadcast. To wrap things up tonight, we turn to Bing Crosby from his Philco Radio Time series. His guest stars tonight are Jack Benny and Mary Livingston. Now, Mary didn't make that many guest shots on other people's programs. Because she had stage fright, right? It was something that she just genuinely did not enjoy doing. But she made an exception for Bing, and this particular program aired in 1947. So let's hear Jack and Mary away from their home base with Philco Radio Time, starring Bing Crosby on the big broadcast. When the blue of the night meets the gold of the days. Jack Smith, I got a smile in my voice tonight. Someone waits for me. Welcome you to Philco Radio Time, produced and transcribed in Hollywood with John Scott Trotter, his orchestra and chorus, Kitch Henderson, Peggy Lee, and Bing's guests, Jack Benny and Mary Livingston. And here he is, the slipcover that walks like a man, Bing Crosby. <clears throat> yeah. A slipcover, eh, Ken? Mm -hmm. That's something you throw over the saggy seat, isn't it? Well, uh... The first number will be a pretty little calypso ditty titled I Do, I Do, I Do, Do Like You. Sounds like it was written by J -J Joe Frisco with a repeater pencil. I don't like men Women I don't like to I like anyone I don't, don't, don't But I do, do, do like you I don't like milk Spinach I don't like too I don't like anything that's good for me But I do, do, do like you Am I mad? No, just my attitude has always been very unconventional. Do I care? No, if you think I am strange, it is intentional. I don't like men, women I don't like too. I think that I don't even like myself, maybe silly, but he's true. Baby, you're the one exception. I do, do, do like you. He don't like me. Maybe he don't like you. Do he like anyone? I don't, 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 but I do, do, do like you. He don't like me. Spinach, I don't like to. Spinach, you don't like to. I don't like anything that's good for me, but I do, do, do like you. Are you mad? 
Think of another exception. Well, do do like the Philco 1201. Not so fast, Cop. We're getting complaints about you in the 1201. Huh? What have I done, Bing? Haven't you been saying that a five-year-old kid can play the 1201? Well, sure, because it's the easiest way to play records ever invented. What's wrong with that? Well, it's got you in hot water with the two-year-olds. Mothers are writing in. Huh? No fooling. They say their kids can play it just as good as the five-year-olds. And what you're saying is a slap in the face to the two-year-old market. Well... <laughs> Big thing here, you Gosh, know. Gosh, Bing. Big, oh, I, McGilla. I was only trying to say that 1201 is so simple, even a child can play it. Well, you better make amends to the two-year-olds right now, or we'll have a diaper line picketing the program. <laughs> okay, Bing, I'll be glad to include them from now on. Ladies and gentlemen, our listeners report that even a two-year-old child can play the Philco 1201 without risk to the records or the phonograph. Take your youngsters to your Philco dealer now and see how ideal this new kind of radio photograph is for even very young children. Only Philco makes the 1201. It's the newest invention in radio from Philco, the leader. Peggy Lee is here to sing, and for a very definite reason, eh, Peggy? Yep, for sentimental reasons. Oh, it worked out just like we wrote it, planned it. I love you for sentimental reasons. I hope you do. Do 
sweet indeed. Now before John Scott stops quivering and the band loses its beat, I shall follow with what am I going to do about you? Thank you. Now, 
Now we have a young man, a young fellow over here, whose left hand always knows what his right hand is doing. Skitch Henderson, his selection, Lover. Mr. Henderson, please. Thank you, Lyle. It was very exciting. The calendar says that spring is upon us, though some sections of the country may doubt it, and in such a situation, love and bloom seems indicated. Yeah. Wait. Hold it. Just, just a minute. It appears the... The forces of live radio have dropped a viper into the fiddle section. <laughs> Let me alone. I'll get it. I'll get it. Just a minute. Hey, say, you. Huh? Have you ever played this number before, bub? Played it? I huh. made it. Well, I should have known. Jack Benny. I certainly expected you tonight, Jack. I expected you over, but I didn't expect to find you in the orchestra. I can't understand it. I've, I've never played so poorly. <laughs> oh, cheer up, Jack. Sure you have. <laughs> Thanks, kid. But I, I, I practiced all morning to limber up. I even washed my fingers and does. Does doesn't do it, I'm dead. 
better switch the Wheaties, kid. But, Jack, I thought Mary was going to come with you. Where is she? Oh, she stopped by the Musicians' Union to pay my dues. Do you belong... You belong to the Musicians' Union? Don't act so shocked. Well, then, I've heard of that. Of course I belong to the Musicians' Union. I'm one of their charter members. You see, years ago, I had a little band. We all joined together. Oh, I know the group well. A fife, a drum, and a guy with a bandage around his head. (laughs) So far, I've had nothing. Look, I don't mean the spirit of 76. My band was called Jack Benny and his Sizzling Gobblers. Sizzling Gobblers? That's the line they gave me. Yeah. <laughs> you specialized in turkey trots. That's the line. That's the... <laughs> and I bet your drummer had drumsticks that were really drumsticks. Yeah, he used to drive me crazy with that munching during my solo. <laughs> Can't understand it. Bill Morrow used to write for me. <laughs> Bing, Bing, what I wanted to see you about is a business proposition. Uh, Uh, What are you going to do this summer? I'm going to take a vacation. Well, I've got an idea where you and I could combine business with pleasure. I'm afraid not, Jack. But, Bing, I mean, this is a chance to pick up some extra money. And that never hurts, you know. Oh, no, it's spending that hurts, isn't it? (laughs) That's that's ridiculous. It doesn't bother me. Uh, Don't knock it till you've tried it. Well, Mary Livingston. <laughs> yeah, get a load of her all decked out like Mrs. Astor's horse. Listen, Mary, you never get all dressed up like that on my program. Well, how often do I sit on Bing Crosby's lap? Well, you're not on Crosby's lap. Wait till I get rolling. <laughs> Mary, just kidding, Bing. Nothing will happen. You keep out of this. Fine. Listen, I've been thinking of this for years, and I might as well come right and out and say it. What do all the women see in Bing Crosby? Look at him. <laughs> hey, he's, you know, he's got blue eyes like mine, though. Blue eyes like mine. You can stop there, brother. Mary, all I want to know is, did you go to the Musicians' Union and pay my dues? Yes, and I was never so touched in my life. What do you mean, touched? Patrillo wept when I handed him your money. Chunks of stone were rolling down his cheeks. I don't know. Jimmy, Jimmy always was a great big softy. All right, Mary, where's my card? Here. Just a minute. This isn't a musician's card. Oh, I forgot to tell you. They transferred you to the plumber's union. The plumber's union? Your plunger arrives tomorrow. What? I can't wait to hear your first solo. <laughs> be asleep on the deep, huh? I've still had nothing. That's a fine way to treat... That's a fine way to treat a charter member. Anyway, I'm going to play the violin because I need it in our act, you know. What act? The band act that I planned for you, Mary, and myself, Jack Benny and company. Now, Bing, look, there's no sense in you taking a vacation all summer. And this Macombo offer is sensational. We're playing the Macombo? Hmm, isn't that pretty swank for an act like the one you've got planned? Oh, oh, I don't mean the Macombo restaurant in Hollywood. I got this offer from a fella named Mo Combo. <laughs> uh, certainly you've heard of Mo. He used to be a prize fighter. Oh, an ex-pug, huh? Has he got an ear for music? No, as I recall, he doesn't have any ears at all. <laughs> 
but he's got a wonderful restaurant right on the ocean at Pismo Beach. Fly fish at high tide and cook fish at low tide. Fly fish at high tide. Get off of Crosby's lap, will you? You're lucky I'm here. He'd have gone home long ago. You're so right. Listen, Listen, Bing. Bing, you've got to go up to Pismo Beach with me. All right, they're building a terrific show around my band. Yeah? Gee, Mo Mo has already signed up a sensational dance team. Who's he got, the DeSharcos? No, it's Velas and Barracuda. (laughs) Oh, Jackson, you ought to have two shows. (laughs) Anyway, Bing, listen, I figure you on the cymbals. You know how you used to play the cymbals, see? Mm -hmm. Mary on the vocals. And you on the plunger. (laughs) Just keep it up and I'll replace you with Peggy Lee. Now, I figure for our opening tune, we'll do Margie. Margie? That's going back a little, isn't it? What's wrong with Margie? That's a hit parade tune. Margie was on the hit parade when men who know tobacco best were Indians. (laughs) And Effie Boone's name was Daniel. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as long as we've gone this far, L-S-M-F-T. Drop the net. Oh, it's a... Yes, sir. You bet. Oh, boy. I say, hey. Well, then we better rehearse our act. Let's run through it, huh? You take the vocal with me, Mary. Oh, I can't sing, Bing. With Jack on the violin, who's going to hear us? Come on. <laughs> I can still hear you. Yeah? Anyway, I want my mother to hear me. What? I want my mother to hear me. Whistler's mother can hear you. Now stand back, will you? All right. How did that get in there? What's that? Well, I'm the leader. I have to have a solo. Oh. <laughs> you do that opening night, and I'll hit you right in the face with a flounder. <laughs> There'll be no fish swinging on the opening night. <laughs> All right, let's get back to Margie. You ready, kid? <laughs> All right, now, wait a second. Margie. Margie. <laughs> Bang. Whack. Margie. I'm always thinking of you, Margie. I'll tell the world I love you. Don't forget your promise to me. I have bought a whole and ring and everything John, your wife is singing. You've been my inspiration. Days are never After all is said and done, there is really only one. Oh, Margie, Margie, it's you.
Very good, Jack. I, uh, I think your band act with a little more rehearsal will be out of this world. Well, thanks. Thanks, Ken. Just like that great new table model Philco radio phonograph with the automatic changer. You know, Jack, that's got everything but everything. That new record changer, for instance, that's really a honey. Quiet, easy on your records, and changes up to 12 records automatically. Say, Ken, what are you talking about? Some new kind of a gramophone? What? Well, Jack, the, the gramophone went out with button shoes. And when did button shoes go out, may I ask? <laughs> Jack, Ken is trying to tell you like I've been trying to tell you. They make a radio and phonograph together now. It's all in one set. Oh, that sounds like some Buck Rogers scheme to me. Huh? No, no, no. This, this Philco's way ahead of Buck Rogers, Jack. It's got a featherweight tone arm with a permanent-type needle good for thousands of planes. Well, I'll be darned. Mm -hmm. This Philco has a powerful built-in speaker that gets you gorgeous tones from radio and records, too. A built-in speaker? That's right. Uh, how are you going to stick your head in the horn to hear if it's built in? <laughs> oh, no, you don't have to stick your head in the horn, you Jack. Don't. This Philco has a beam power pentode audio system packed full of power for rich, rounded tones. Well, does it have earphones for stations that are over 20 miles away? No, you, you don't need any earphones, Jack. And believe me, you can't go wrong with Philco's new table. It's only asking. I know. <laughs> I say you can't go wrong with... I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> the new table model radio phonograph, the automatic record changer. Huh? It's got everything, and it's a Philco, famous for quality the world over. The Jolson story, the anniversary song. How we danced on the night we were wed. We vowed our true love, though a word wasn't said. The world was in blue. There were stars in the skies Except for the few That were there in your eyes Dear, as I held you close in my arms Angels were singing a hymn to your charms To hearts gently beating Murmuring low Darling, I love you so The night seemed to fade Into blossoming dawn The sun shone anew But the dance lingered on Could we but recall That sweet moment sublime We'd find that our love Is unaltered by time 
Smith as a reminder to everybody concerning the 1947 Red Cross Fund. There are 80,000 patients from World War I and World War II who require skillful attention. It seems that a grateful nation should give generously to those who gave so much. Well, it's about time to put the cat out, but before sending Tabby forth into the night air, I want to thank Jack and Mary for a delightful visit. Uh, who's on your show next week, Bing? Read that right, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Short I know that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Who's on your show next, next week, Bing? Yay! <laughs> well, next week, Mary, we're going to have an old-time minstrel show, and my guests will be John Charles Thomas and Al Jolson. John Charles Thomas and Al Jolson? Mm-hmm. Gee, I'd rather hear those guys sing than eat. How do you know? You've never heard them eat. <laughs> Stop punching, Mary, will you? <laughs> Bing, there's one thing I want to say before I leave. What, J.B.? You know what I think is wonderful? Here we did a show together, and yet we didn't do one joke about my toupee or your horses. <laughs> well, say, Jack, that reminds me you owe me $20. $20? Why? Your last toupee was made out of the tail of one of my horses. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the one that swishes every time I pass a stable. Yes, I... <laughs> well, good night, Bing. Good night, folks. Good night. Good night, Bing. Good night, Mary. Good night, everybody. This program was produced and transcribed in Hollywood by Bill Morrow and Murdo McKenzie. Tune in to Philco Radio Time next week and hear Bing Crosby, John Scott Trotter, his chorus and orchestra, and Bing's guests, John Charles Thomas and Al Jolson. And remember, only Philco makes the 1201. It's the newest invention in radio from Philco, the leader. A star-filled Philco Radio Time with Bing Crosby, joined by Jack and Mary Benny, Mary Livingston, of course, on tonight's big broadcast. And unfortunately, that's where we have to end things this evening. Our time is up. Of course, we thank you for making the big broadcast a part of your Saturday night, and we'll see you here once again next week. Till then, I'm Mark Magistrelli. And I'm Mike Martini. Tune in again next time for the big broadcast. Tune in again next week for another evening of outstanding entertainment on The Big Broadcast. This is Mark Tipton, your announcer speaking.
The Big Broadcast is produced by Media Heritage Incorporated.